0: Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, everyone. We continue on with our Where is God sermon series. And this Sunday, we're asking the question, where is God when I'm rejected? Where is God when I'm rejected? So we're going to, with upbeat Sunday, uh, this Sunday. Uh, Please go with me to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, I pray that you would speak through me and perhaps even in spite of me. And so let the humble words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Rejection is painful. It's painful. Uh, Have you ever been rejected by a family member? Have you ever been rejected by a parent? That's that's painful. Have you experienced social rejection? Have you felt uh, alienated at work or, or bullied at school? Have you felt um, relational rejection? Have you ever had anyone withhold affection? Have you ever had romantic rejection? Anyone ever been stuck in the friend zone? (laughs) Uh, Has a friend once tell me that. um, The friend zone is kind of like the phantom zone in Superman. You can get out of it, but it'll take a supernova. Um, So, you know, some folks have been stuck there. I remember listening to a, a comedian once and she was talking about uh, rejection and, and her, uh, her bit kind of went like this. She was, she was talking about how you can be rejected, particularly in a relationship, and, and you can nurse it. You take it and you, you look at it. You use it as kind of an artifact. You, you define it. You bring other friends to look at it with you. And then what you do is you take all these bits of rejection and pack them into a bag of, of, well, emotional baggage. And then you throw that bag over your shoulder and you just walk into a new relationship. Now, this could be a, a new relationship could be a new relationship with with an institution, even a church. We can think about it in those ways. But you you take all that baggage, you throw it over your shoulder, and then you walk into a new relationship. The thing is, the new person has no idea. And so they look at you and they say, wow, you seem pretty cool. You seem to be normal, well-adjusted. And you say, yeah, thank you. Uh, This looks like a great place to feel safe to unpack my stuff. You know, that's how the bit goes. She didn't say stuff at the end, but I'm cleaning it up for church. So this looks like a good place, a safe place for me to unpack my stuff. And that's, that's kind of what we do with our accumulated rejection sometimes. Uh, we bring it into friendships. We bring it into relationships. We can even bring it into our relationships with the church. I mean, how many people have felt bruised or rejected by the church. You can look across church history. You can talk to folks today. You can look at the ways in which people have felt rejected in the church because of race or nationality. You can look at ways that people have been felt rejected in the life of some churches because of sexuality, uh, we can look at ways in which some people have felt rejected in churches because of, of gender and not being able to fully participate in, in all ways in relationship to the church. And, and this causes bruising. I've, I've had multiple conversations in each of these areas and, and more where people have felt bruised by certain versions of the church, rejected by certain versions of the church, and it, it hurts to the core because we believe that this spiritual life is, is the core of all of our being. There's so many ways that rejection can hurt us. I just did a little uh, research around uh, rejection and I was really interested to find out that, that people have, have done MRIs on people who are experiencing this kind of pain of rejection. And the same part of uh, our brain that, that processes physical pain processes emotional pain such that if you give a person Tylenol, when you ask them to think about some kind of emotional pain that they have experienced, it has a similar effect. It helps to, to dull that pain. Isn't that interesting? I never heard that before. It's the same part of our brain. So, so rejection can be very painful for us. And emotional uh, pain is, is even more profound than, than, than physical pain most times when you remember it because the memories are more vivid and therefore are more painful across time in many cases. So there's this physical pain that we experience, even with the m- emotional pain of rejection. There seems to be so much rejection in our society today as people with differing ideas and, and differing views are almost like um, two magnets when you put them together. So like opposite sides of a magnet attract. But if you put, uh, so if you put A and B together, those will, those will kind of stick together. But if you put A and A together, they will repel one another. That happens so much in our society today, where someone says, hey, I feel that you have rejected me in my perspective, and so I'm, I'm out of here. But that but person on the other side of the conversation does the exact same thing. Hey, I feel like you have rejected me in my perspective. I'm out of here. And so it's, it's almost like this mutual repelling. It used to be the case where you say, no, 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 you're the one who did wrong, so I'm the one who feels uh, rejected and repelled. And now there's a flip side of that that conversation. As it relates to the church, I remember uh, years back when I was uh, first on a voting delegation in the life of our church for jurisdictional and and general conference. I was in a a lobby of the convention center. We were voting on on bishops, and somebody who had a uh, a differing um, understanding of uh, inclusion in the church related to human sexuality, uh, had a conversation with me in the middle of a lobby. I think she's trying to figure out where I was on these things. And, and so she said of the people who were pressing for um, broader inclusion in the church, uh, she said, why are, they, why are they harming us like this? Why are they seeking to hurt us? And then she just broke down in tears. And I, and I thought— what, what's going? What's going on here? Because the folks I spend uh, uh, much time with would say just the exact opposite. No, no, no! It's you who's harming us. But we've gotten to this point now where it feels like this mutual rejection, and people use this kind of language even to this day as we talk about splits in the life of the church, and both sides saying that it hurts. It is hurting me, and, and the perspectives of others are, are hurting me. Mutual rejection. You know, science uh, shows us that rejection often creates surges of anger and aggression, more so than drugs do, more so than poverty and gangs do, some of these things that we point to and say, well, if you're in this situation or if you're doing this, this it's gonna create a surge of of, of violence. No, 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 rejection is even more profound. And this is why when we look at, at shootings, when we look at domestic violence, things like this, Often, a, a person who's experienced profound rejection is, is acting out in these horrible, these horrific ways. And so you can look to that as an as a indicator of potential harmful behavior. This is how much rejection affects us. And I think one of the answers is community. So we've got this kind of uh, fallacy that uh, that is often said uh, morally and and I've heard it said in the in the lives of in the life of the church sometimes that you are your truest self when you are alone. You're your truest self when you're alone. You're your, your truest moral self. So whatever you do, whatever your behaviors are when no one else is looking is who you are most truly. And whereas I think that there are some elements of that that we really need to listen to and understand, I don't know if it is completely true. It may indeed be the case that we are our truest selves when we are in community. Because most of us, uh, as we experience the lowest depths of isolation in the midst of the pandemic, would say that when I'm alone, I get just a little bit weird. Uh, you know, I mean, I can be alone for a little while, but if you put me alone for a long time, if, I, if I'm divorced from, from community, I just, I become weirder and weirder versions of myself. I don't become better versions of myself. I become poorer versions of myself when I'm alone. This is why no one electively uh, says to any pastor uh, every week, you can look at my browser history. I'm just, you know, That's meant to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that kind of thing. You know, because we are not always our best selves. Real talk, people. Real talk. We're not always our best selves when we are alone. We've got to be honest about these kinds of things. So we talk a lot about kinship here and this idea that being together in the midst of community is restorative. This is why community can be one of the one of the aspects of healing when someone is feeling the pain, the depths of the pain of rejection. Uh, some scientists say that rejection and our, our response to it serves a, a vital function in our evolutionary past because people were always together. This is another reason why I don't know that we we're our, our best selves when we we're alone. People were always together in isolation from other people, especially prolonged isolation from one another, signaled something that was a deep threat, an existential threat to your life. You might not be able to live, continue on without other people. And so this is why some scientists posit that we have such a strong reaction to rejection because it was life-threatening in our evolutionary past. So again, this idea of being in community helps to restore that damage, to reconnect us, to Lower those, uh, the, the violence and aggression that sometimes uh, comes from it. Um, uh, rejection does all other, so many other kinds of things. It, it lowers self-esteem. It can temporarily lower your IQ. It can, it can sh- change your short-term memory and, and decision-making. All these kinds of things are negative ways that rejection impacts us as individuals, and so community can be so restorative to us as individuals, as a, as a collective. When we look at the passage from Acts 15, this is a passage that we call the Jerusalem Council, one of the first councils of the church. In, in early councils of the church, this is where we hammered out theology and how we were going to think about God and how we were going to think about one another. And here in this, this early council of the church, the question was, can you be properly a part of the church if you're not following uh, the law of Moses, if you're not fully invested in Jewish religious life. Because at the time, um, what we now call Christianity was kind of like a, a, a denomination in the midst of Judaism. You might think of it in that kind of a way. And so uh, there were these folks who said, look, it is great uh, that all these Gentiles who are coming in, these non-Jewish folks that we originally said were not going to be a part of, of our community, now God is making a way for these folks, and they're coming in, and, and they're converting to uh, to Judaism. But part of the thing that you've got to do, and it says it if you're going to read all of Acts 15, part of the thing you've got to do, you've got to follow the law of Moses, it means all the guys who are converting have to be circumcised. It's like this was a big thing. Clearly. And so they, um, and so this was a barrier to entry because not everybody was sure about all of these things. And so they convene this council of Jerusalem to say, do we need to have these folks follow all of the laws of Moses? Some of them uh, very dramatic to follow. Um, Are are they going to follow all the laws of Moses or not? And so we see part of this debate in the passage that was read. But where they end up is saying, look, how do we know, how do we, how do we know that somebody has been, um, is a part of the community of faith? What we can name is that the Spirit of God is active in the lives of these people, of these Gentiles. So the question is, if we can name and see how the Spirit of God is active in the lives of these people, is that more important? Is that more fundamentally Christian than being circumcised? Which one? Which of the two? God living in you and thus seeing that clearly or um, an external? And where they ended up was saying, no, it's, it's the Internal. It's the indwelling presence of God that is the mark of faith that is more substantial, more clear, more clearly identifies somebody as being a Christian. And that tone has continued on throughout church life, especially when we have been thinking, I think, in ways most consistent with the Spirit of God. So when when there was a question, a real question, whether uh, people of different races could be in the same church, or or if people of a, a different race were even uh, humans and could have a soul, there were people who said, "No, no, it's clear. These folks are humans." When I say these folks, I mean in our, in our history, African Americans, clearly humans have a soul. There's a mark of faith there and so can easily be in worship with one another. And that tug of war went back and forth in history for far too long in our history. Uh, This is what folks say when we talk about LGBTQ inclusion in the life of the church. Do you not see the Spirit of God present and working through these individuals? Do you not see the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of these individuals. So I think when the church has, has thought well about these things, we've looked for the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, in the lives of people. And, and we've said, look, our inclination to push people away and reject, and reject them just doesn't make sense when we think in these ways. So the Jerusalem Council said, we've got to recognize the work of the Spirit within individuals. And one of the the consequences of the Jerusalem Council was that we've got to recognize that our life may be different as a consequence of those who we choose to include. And so there was going to be a difference with these Gentiles. They weren't going to be following all of the former rules that the rest of Judaism followed. And that was going to impact the way the church formed. And it has impacted the way the church formed throughout history. That's kind of why we do what we do here in this space and why it's differentiated sometimes from our uh, Jewish siblings. There's an implication in receiving people Quick story about that. I was in Houston and serving a a church in a a very diverse neighborhood. It was Houston's most diverse neighborhood. The congregation was not uh, very diverse at all. And so my task was to go in and try to find a way to help the local church reflect the community that surrounded the local church. One mile radius, 60 cent, 66% uh, Hispanic, Latinx. You widen that out. There are plenty more uh, Francophone, Africans, uh, Vietnamese, uh, Middle Eastern folks. And so it just, it just kind of continued on in a, in a certain kind of radius. And we said, well, our, our church needs to be reflective uh, of this. And so we tried to do what the Jerusalem Council did. Let's put at the center who we are trying to reach. And then let's recognize that if we were effective in doing so, that is going to shape, reshape the life of our church. And and so in that, we we ask these questions. Is Is it more important, do I just want somebody who is here, a kind of a body that represents the statistics that I want to see, or do I want to fully receive all of who these folks are? And it was really tough for a period of years. It was probably a three-year period where I thought, this is the holy work of the church, and I don't know if I can do it. I mean, it was just because it was hard because there were these constant tensions. Um, people being like, because we had uh, more folks who were used to like clapping and being exuberant in church. And so we'd have folks who were shushing them half the time. And so both the shushers would leave the church and the people who were shushed would leave a church, kind of mutual rejection going on. Um, and so it took it took time for this to level out and for people to stop rejecting one another in the life of the church, but what we kept central in the midst of that three-year transition period was who we feel called to reach and our sense of what the Spirit was doing in the life of the community in the lives of those that we were calling to reach, called to reach. We had to say that Their life in the midst of our lives is going to change our life, and that is going to be a good. That is what kinship is all about. And so here's my challenge to us as we move into this week. Two parts. First part of it is to think about your own woundedness, and if you have any church woundedness uh, from years past that you're still working through, I hope that you will contact uh, one of your clergy and a and staff member that you feel close to and, and talk about those things. Let's enter into an intentional journey of, of healing as it relates to those things, because I know that there is some woundedness that some carry in those areas. And the, and the second part of the challenge is to think about who you need to make space for. Who is God calling you to make space for? Someone who may have felt rejected. Someone who you may have indeed (laughs) rejected. How is God calling you to make space for others? And how is God calling us collectively as we make space for others? How is God calling us to change so that we can truly receive rather than reject? In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you. And we hope to see you soon.